0: That's awesome. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you once again. Uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, it would be really good to have a Bible with you every Sunday. If you don't have one and you want to borrow one or have, I take one, we have some on the back table there, or if you have it on your phone or your tablet, we can have that screen back up again. We're in a new series uh, called Disciple. Mm-hmm. That screen again, uh, Lydia? <laughs> That's the one. Yes, that one. Um, So yeah, like, um, boy, how can I explain this? Uh, Because obviously last week I wasn't able to be here or Janice. We came down with the lovely C word, the COVID, for the second time. And uh, yeah, you know, got all the shots and all the rest of it, but you get it, right? And uh, so anyway, I I had this idea for a two-part mini-series because of coming out of the Fruit of the Spirit series, and particularly the last message that was preached in that called The Trellis and the Vine, and it had spoken to a lot of people in different ways, and also to Rudy, and he was really, you know, brought, you know, some things to his mind about that whole message, and so I had a two-parter ready to go, and so Rudy's like, uh, well... Uh, let's make it a three-parter, <laughs> and, and, and he did a great job last week. It was awesome to see him do that, and specifically, he focused on one statement that was made in the last of the Fruit of the Spirit series, um, and the Trellis and the Vine, and that was when I, I said at one point, listen, our, our call as Christians is not to merely make converts, Right, because that, that from my Christian life, from many of the years that I was in churches, it was like, yeah, that's the idea. Go to a Bible camp, get a kid to profess faith in Jesus Christ, woohoo, maybe baptize them, woohoo, we're done. N- no, <laughs> no, that's, that's just the beginning. And so people, you know, they, they take notes and they like, well, we had so many baptisms, we had so many people come forward and put their hands up, you know, at a crusade or what it might be. And then years later, n- nothing. And so, no, it's not about that. It's about making disciples who make disciples. Amen? So that is what we picked up on. And then, so it was great. I think the prologue last week really fits well. And I want to thank Rudy for that because he, 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 he looked at that, okay, what does it look like to be converted, right? And, and to be a, a new creation in Christ and basically a baby, right? An infant who needs milk and, and then needs to mature. And therefore, at some point in time, they need more meat, but they also need people helping them in that maturity. And so I wanted to focus on you with you this week on 13 verses in Romans chapter 12. I love this passage so much. I hope you will, you will too, or you already do. Um, and I want to show you this week that, that there's two phases to this that we want to look at. Number one, the, the term disciple, it's about be one. Today is about be one, about being a disciple. And as I will conclude today, you need to be one before you can really make one. (laughs) And that's what we'll look at next week. So read with me Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, and then I'm going to pray one more time and we will dive in. I'm reading actually today from the NIV. Normally we use the ESV here at the the Rock Church. Great translation. That's our normal. But I really like the word choices in the NIV. And uh, so we'll look at a various few today, but I am reading for the NIV for some of you are going, hey, what's he doing? This is the NIV, okay? Let's read again. These are the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as, for pardon me, If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, um, what, what an amazing uh, gift it is that you have given to us that we get to be part of your family and to come into a place that is just a building um, as a family as the church and worship you, to, to lift up our voices and to sing to you, declaring who you are, what you've done, how thankful that we are that you are our heavenly Father, you are our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and you are our power, the Holy Spirit. We thank you. We just thank you for all that you've done. I just want to pray this morning that, Lord, I, I pray that you would just help me with the thoughts that you've put on my heart and mind, and uh, help them to be clear. I pray, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would really speak to us all here clearly today how we are to be one, a disciple, a follower of yours, Lord Jesus. And so I pray these things in your worthy name. Amen. So we're only going to unpack the first two verses this morning. It'll take us some time to get there. Uh, I think we need, to, we need to lay a bit of a foundation here for this, I hope. It'll make sense. So I think as we dive in, the first thing we need to do is we need to define the the terminology. We need to define the word, disciple. We've been over this many, many times before in the church over the years as we're going through different books, and we've been looking at it, and we've come to know that early on in the life of the church, in the first 10, 15, 20 years, they weren't known as Christians. It, It wasn't known as Christianity. That's not what they were known as. In fact, it's not until Acts chapter 11, and this is like several years into the planting and the development of the church, where we read these words that Luke records, and it says this, and in Antioch, the disciples, now notice that, were first called Christians. And, and here's the point that we learned when we went through that. This was not a compliment. <laughs> this was not, oh, they're Christians. No, it's like those Christians. It was a slur. In, in fact, up until that point in time, the, the way that they would have you know, designated themselves typically is they would have designated themselves as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, their rabbi, their Messiah, ours, but also they described themselves as the people of the way, the way, the truth, and the life, the Jesus, following Jesus. In fact, a few chapters earlier in chapter 9 of Acts, we read this, and it's about Paul going to his leaders, right, so that he can get papers, so that he can go to Damascus and he can start arresting Christians and then bringing them back to Jerusalem and having them killed. And we read there, and Paul asked him, the leader, uh, one of the leaders, for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It was actually men, women, and children that were persecuted for their faith. So the word disciple literally means learner. Now, we, we look at it and say, yeah, it's a follower of Jesus Christ, but it literally means learner. And, and, and it was always related to the fact that Jesus, and you know this from the Gospels, you know the story, where he would walk by you know, a fishing boat and he'd point to two guys and he'd go, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. More on that next week but it was always about follow me, follow me, right? And then early on, it was about follow him and become a disciple, and they responded to it and became a person of the way, Jesus' way, and they followed him, and they learned from him. And that, I want to suggest to you, is true for all of us today, or at least it's supposed to be true for us today. So as Rudy pointed out last week, for all of us who are today disciples of Jesus, at some point, somebody likely said to you, like, I think it's Andrew and his brother said, come and see, come and see this guy. We think he might be the Messiah. And it was always this invitation to come and see. And that's how a lot of us came here, right? Maybe not the rock, but some other church at some point in time, come and see. And so from that point on, as they followed and learned from Jesus, and he was always preaching about the kingdom of God and and, and about salvation. And, and, and he was declaring himself to be God And how a person is to be saved from their sins through repentance, through the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerating their hearts, and then they are given by Jesus the right to become children of God, John 1 tells us, once they've placed their faith and trust in him. They become children of God. So we also know from the Gospels, especially uh, during the 3.5 years of Jesus' life, and we know this, and you can read it in the Gospels, it's true, I'm just not making this up, thousands upon thousands of people came and saw. Not all believed. In fact, few did. Oh, They heard he was a wise teacher, that he was a wise man, and that he was giving out free sushi and bread every once in a while, and healing the sick. And so, you know, they came and saw, but many did not stick around very long. Those who are the true disciples or were the true disciples did. And thanks to their faithfulness to Jesus, his word and call on their lives, you and I have the word of God and their testimony today. Come and see. Come and see. It's an amazing and beautiful picture. And what is it a picture of? Well, like the trellis and the vine, it's called multiplication. Go and make disciples of all Nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and teach them everything that I've commanded you. Disciple them. Multiply. So, that then was also one of the key points we attempted to make in the few weeks, a few weeks ago, as we concluded the Fruit of the Spirit series with the trellis and the vine. We learned that, of course, that Jesus, uh, who is the vine, tells us to go and bear much fruit in John 15. He actually had a dual mindset in mind. He saw that in two ways or a twofold way. First, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, right? Who produces the fruit. Right? That, that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience. Anybody? Right? So it's, it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in us, but then it is supposed to become a work of the Holy Spirit through us as we go into this world. Therefore, the trellis, of course, so pardon me, the fruit of the Spirit is us. in us is the means by which fruit is produced through us. So therefore, the trellis, which as we saw is sort of the church structure, the the things that the vine holds on to and and grows up on and all all the branches and the fruit are structured by, it's a beautiful picture. And again, it's part of the support for the vine, which the end result is supposed to be more branches, more fruit, and again, multiplication. So, for us then this morning, as we consider what it means to be a disciple, we must see this first. It's about identity. These first two verses in Romans 12 are about who you are. Like, really. And, and, and he's going to beseech us and beg us to believe it and to know it really, really well. It's not about what we do, but it's about being out of who we now are. Who are we? We're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. So you all know, because, again, if you're part of the Rock Church, you know I repeat myself quite a bit over the years, especially on a few points, but they're important to repeat. And, and, and one of them is, of course, we get our name as a rock as a rock church from Matthew 6 8, 16, pardon me, 18, where, you know, after Peter confesses Jesus, right, Jesus says, right, Peter, you got it right, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, which is the Greek word which we've made into church. But what I want to show you this morning is what actually leads up to that. Like what provokes that conversation where Peter confesses Jesus and then Jesus says, right, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. Well, it's really interesting. And again, what we need to see here is this, it's about the subject is all about identity. It all starts when they were actually one day on the road following Jesus. We're going to do ministry, boys. Come with me as I'm doing ministry. That's how you disciple people, by the way. And he's taking them through Caesarea Philippi, right? And all of a sudden he stops. And in Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asks them a question, a really important question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am, is what Jesus is asking. So this is about 18 months into his ministry. And listen, some people would think, well, that's a bit of an arrogant statement, isn't it? Hey, people people think I'm pretty important, right? Like, who do people say? No. No, of course Jesus is not asking it that way or thinking that way. The reality is, is he was extremely well-known. As I've already said, thousands upon thousands are following him. The word is spreading about him, so much so that the Jewish religious leaders in that day and even some of the Roman leaders are like, we might have a problem here. The people are following this guy. Some believe he's the king, the Messiah. He's literally in those days a rock star. So look, the question he asks is what? It's a question of identity, isn't it? So the disciples respond saying that some believe, you know, you're, you know you're, you're the resurrected John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah. You could stop there and say that, you know, why, why didn't Jesus go, well, that's not bad. Like, those guys are all awesome, right? Uh, you know, but no, that's not who he is. He's not a carbon copy. He's not a, no, he, he's very unique. And so his identity is really important. So I love this. This is one of my favorite parts in that passage, is Jesus personalizes it. He then looks at his disciples, those who've been following him, those who will become, and some are his apostles, will be his church. He asks the important question, but who do you say that I am? So, of course, Peter, who we all love, right? He can't help himself, and he just... You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. I think even, even he was a bit you know, like astounded that he actually said that. What he said was true, obviously. So Peter, of course, gets it right, but here's what's really interesting as well. Jesus acknowledges to him that he got it right, but Jesus also wants to let him know, and he does. Peter, you, you, didn't, you didn't just figure that out yourself. My heavenly Father revealed that to you. And Peter heard that, and so did the others. The Holy Spirit revealed that to him. And so that's a really amazing part, and it's, of course, at that point where we see Jesus look at Peter and says, I tell you what, Peter, whose name is Little Rock, right? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this is one of the reasons why, actually, we made our mission statement from the very beginning, or part of it anyway, making Jesus known. How? By making disciples to make disciples. But why making Jesus known? Well, I don't know if you agree with me, but I don't think the real true Jesus is as well known for who he really is today in this world like he was then. Do you? That's why it's our mission statement. That's why it's important that we live that mission statement out. So I've got two questions for you. this is going to get fun. (laughs) two questions for you. First, who do you say that Jesus is? Wise teacher? Someone who makes you feel good about, you know, a, a, a God and possibly, you know, an, a, a, a heaven after I die? Who do you say that Jesus is? Or do you say, no, no. I declare that He is the Son of the living God. I declare that He is my Savior. It's the question, actually, that we're all asked, and it is our required testimony when we enter the waters of baptism, right? That's what we're doing. We're identifying with Jesus, and we're saying, He died for me. I'm going into the waters of baptism and dying to my old self, to my old life, because I'm going to come out of that water alive for Christ. What an incredible picture. And that's all being given to us by the gospel. So here's the second question. Who do people say that you are when asked? Like people at work, people at school, People you meet for the first time. Who do people say they are? I think it's an interesting question, isn't it? And and here's why I ask that today. It has everything to do with what Paul wants to get across to us in verses 1 and 2 and chapter 12. It's about you and I knowing our true identity. Like knowing it. Owning it. Living in it every day. So look, I think you've all probably heard the old saying, if it were a crime... To be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Anybody ever heard that one before? Nobody? Okay, hands. Thank you for it. A little participation never hurts, right? Right? That's that's an old saying, guys. Like, I'm old. I've heard that a long time ago. But listen. (laughs) Would it be a crime today to believe the kind of things that we believe that are in this book? Is it a crime today in many people's minds to believe what's in this book? It is, isn't it? It certainly is. And so it's a very, 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 very true statement. It can feel like it's a crime anyway. So do you, I'm asking you again, do you identify in your mind and heart as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you? So I want us to think on this. For, for someone to respond that, that has met you or me and to say, yeah, 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 Bill or Mary or Glenn, yeah, yeah, there's one thing I know about them. They are disciples of Jesus Christ. They're Christians. Like, how is it possible they would know that? Would it be just by our walk doing our talking? Yeah. Remember that two weeks ago? No, no, come on. It couldn't be. How would they know that? So how about this? You meet someone at a dinner party, an event or at work, and you're, you're at the point of introductions, right? In my business life, I just did this all the time, right? And and you would meet people. I do it today. You meet people. Met some people up at Alice Lake the other day. Hi, how are you? My name is. We're doing this, right? And and so, you know, usually I would open that up with, hi, well, my name's Glenn. Uh, what's yours? It's right? typically how this would open up, right? And so the conversation can go in many directions from that, but usually what happens is this. We all start describing to people what we do. Right, I mean seriously, right? Yeah, you know, like I'm, in, you could be, you know, like I'm, I'm a teacher. I, I'm a carpenter. I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor. But you could be describing your, your line of work. You know, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm, I'm homeschooling my kids. You know, like I, whatever. You could be doing that, and then you would go on to say, you know, as a guy, you might say, well, I'm married to my beautiful wife of 25 years, and we have three kids. And I like you. One of the reasons why I moved to Squamish is I love the outdoors, man. I like to rock climb. I like to mountain bike, windsurf. Woohoo! whatever, right? Isn't that what happens? How about this? Have you ever added, oh, and by the way, like first and foremost, (laughs) I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Does that ever happen? Okay, look, talking to me here too. So is that not your identity though? That's what Paul wants us to get. And guys, If we're going to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given to us to go and make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and then disciple them, we have got to believe this is our identity every day first and foremost. And so Paul really, really, I believe, really wants us to understand you and I, who you are, truly are, about being one before making one. So Romans 12 verse 1, let's put it on the screen, we'll look at it. He says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So I actually had to laugh last week, laughed a couple of times, but uh, when Rudy talked about uh, talking to the c to c guy who we both know really well and, and him asking Rudy, have you read the whole Bible? Like, like you're coming forward as a potential church planter, and the guy who's kind of assessing you in an interview goes, have, have you read the whole Bible? And it, it's, it's kind of like, why? Did, was there clues that I maybe haven't? <laughs> like, whatever. No, but it's convicting, right? It really is. Well, 14 years ago, I planted this church, and I had read through the Bible. I had read through the whole Bible. But did I know the whole Bible, like, really well? Did I know the whole arc of God, creation, fall, redemption, restoration? No. Like, it's... It's a deep process, and I laugh because the, 25 years ago, when I was actually Rudy's age, I know, it is that long ago, we were going to a church in North uh, Langley, and the pastor there came up to me and said, Glenn, because he knew I was preaching a little bit and, yeah, and teaching a little bit in that time, and he said, would you like to lead an adult Sunday school class at our church on Sunday mornings? And I said, sure, yeah, love to. And he goes, uh, you've got 16 weeks, so listen, uh, pick a book, you know, uh, pick a topic, pick a subject, or a series of chapters or something and let me know pray about it let me know right well right away i looked at him and i went well because in the back of my mind i got i just got a shiny new collection of commentaries on the book of romans right and i'm like it's 16 chapters this is perfect so i said to him i want to do romans he looked at me and he went okay (laughs) you go for it buddy i was three weeks into that and i realized oh my what am i doing I persevered, so did the people who came to the class. It's amazing, it's amazing. So look, you guys know this, most of you do, but some maybe don't, so let me put it out there to you. Romans is considered the theological giant in the New Testament. It is theologically rich and beautiful. The book is laid out actually in a very typical Pauline pattern, which is where he First of all, he lays down uh, the imperatives or um, the doctrine, and he does that for 11 chapters in Roman. It's like doctrine, doctrine, imperatives, who God is, what he has done, who that then means we are, and then he moves to duty, how then we should live. He does that in Ephesians and Colossians. He does that here in Romans. It's the way he always does it. Paul lays out the gospel so clearly, actually, with his seminal statement in Romans three twenty two twenty three, 23, where he says this. For there is no distinction. Now, he's been building the case. Look, it, you, you, you're Jewish? You're not necessarily going to heaven. You're not necessarily good with God. Oh, oh you're, you're, you're now this, you know, you're Gentile, and, but you're living a good ethical life? No, not necessarily. <laughs> you're not there. So there's no distinction. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, famous, not so famous. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, from there until the end of chapter 11, Paul reveals how our justification, how we are justified by God, our salvation from sin, is based solely on our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place and for our sins. He presents the gospel for 11 chapters, doctrine, amazing teaching, justification by faith. It's beautiful. Then, starting at chapter 12, as we've arrived here today, we move to duty, the, the indicatives of how then we should live. Now, what I want you to note in these first two verses, uh, especially in the first and second verse, we'll, we'll look at it, is this is individually. The word you here is he's speaking to you and to you and to me. This is individual. Next week, he's going to move to the you, the body, to all of us. But this is personal. And look what how it, his appeal is to you and I individually to be who you are, to be truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so back again to uh, 12.1, reading various translations is really, really helpful, actually, because you see, I've used the NIV here this morning, um, and and it just really helps us. The impression some people have of Paul, I know, uh, I've heard this many times, Paul is like, you know, a little harsh, you know, his tone's kind of tough, you know, he's very black and white, you know, he's not Jesus, <laughs> like, and and he's, he's just got people think you know, he's, that's the impression they have of Paul. This passage should completely blow that dismissive, Smith, Smith reads. This is a pastor putting his heart on his sleeve. The words here are incredible. If you look at the various translations, the words like appeal, urge in the NIV, beseech in the good old King James version, also beg in another translation, are all attempting to do one thing to give weight to. To the Greek, which is coming from the heart of someone who's pleading with me, pleading with someone that he deeply loves and cares for, who he wants to be able to live and live well. That's the way you should hear this. That's the way I believe we should hear this. And so where does he go first? Well, the first thing he does is he goes to the mercies of God. (laughs) I mean, he's been laying that out for 11 chapters, right? He's saying now that you've read all that I've written about our merciful and gracious God, how you've been justified by faith and the finished work of Christ again, who bore your sins on the cross, now that you are free from the bondage of sin. Remember Romans 8? There is therefore now no condemnation. for those. After all that, after all I've written to you about all of that, I'm appealing to you that you truly know who you are. Who you are. And then out of that, he says, this is what you should do as a result of that. He says, offer your bodies. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So this is his appeal. This is his appeal. This is his pleading with you and I. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. He wants us to flourish and really live well. And he's been basing it on it from what, what he said, actually, in Romans 6.11, where he said this, in the same way, he said it this way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That word count is basically him saying, think about this. Think about yourself. Think about who you were. Think of who you are not anymore, and think of now who you really are. You're dead to that guy. You're alive to this new person, this new creation in Christ. You're whole previous identity is going through the most incredible makeover ever wanted to do a do-over like tomorrow (laughs) this is what it's about it's about a makeover and so Paul appeals to us die to the old you and that's how you will become a living sacrifice you die to that old you all of that we'll get to that (laughs) now this word bodies is really important I got to dive into this a little bit with you this morning because it's really an important word to understand here In our culture today, and I think many of you know this, there's this notion that our bodies may not represent actually who we are. That our true self, our essence of who we are, right, is separate from our body. The notion is false, and why do I say this? Because God's word tells us that. All the way back in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, After the Lord God had made Adam and Eve, but he goes into the details of first he creates the man, just like he created all the other animals, we read these words. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living man, body, being. And so, uh, in God's economy and in his mind, the idea is we are embodied souls. This thing that I, it's short, it's not as tall as I'd like it to be, right? <clears throat> this is me. This is as much me as this personality, this mind inside of me, this soul inside of me. It's me. And that's how God wants to see it. In fact, that's why, if you think about it, we are actually one day going to get resurrected bodies. We are embodied souls. We are embodied souls. So, back to Paul's point, you and I should see ourselves as we are defined by Jesus, not as we define ourselves, as we're defined by Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And so, he's writing to whom? To disciples, to people who know they are disciples. And then he again says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul's appeal then is that we offer ourselves as men and women who know who in fact we are. Those who have been brought from death to life. His appeal then is that we offer all of ourselves, all of our body, and that of course includes our hearts, both physical and the heart of our being, to him. Great reversal of the sacrifice, isn't it? Look what he did for you, what he's done for us. It's our reasonable act of worship, to sacrifice for him. It means as well, listen, offering all of our hopes, all of our hopes and dreams of our hearts to him on a daily basis saying this, Lord, I trust you and your will for my life. Every day. <laughs> Amen is right. That's not easy. And that's how, by the way, the scripture shows us here that we will know the will of God. It's when we offer ourselves daily, freely, offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him that we find his will for our life. It becomes real to us. We see it. Plainly, we do. So now Paul moves to the practical imperatives, and we will too. Verse 2, he says this. Knowing that... (laughs) First important imperative is this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are lots of good uh, paraphrases out there. A man by the name of J.B. Phillips, uh, he uh, wrote uh, a paraphrase, and he lived from 1906 to 1982. I love it. Uh, Eugene Peterson did as well in his paraphrase called The Message, but one of his is beautiful. It says in for, when he's defining uh, verse 2, he says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. I love that, right? It has a mold. And we dove into that deeply, right? Uh, into the pattern of this world in our series on spiritual warfare a few months ago, when we learned the, all about the deceptive ideas, the lies that Satan, you know, pours into our minds every day, right? That, that of course uh than those deceptive ideas, they play to our disordered desires, our old sinful, fleshly nature, that plays to that. To do what? To, to go back to that. Instead to live in our new person, in our new life. And so Paul's reminding us that this new life, this new person who we now must remember we are, that when we go back out there into this world, it's a battle. It's a war. That's why it's called spiritual warfare. So Paul then offers the greatest solution, the greatest solution that will ensure we avoid the pattern of this world, which is also the key to the completion of your and my makeover. It's going to take the rest of your life, but this is the key. He says, what you need is this, daily. You need a metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis. You need a transformed mind. Not just an education. <laughs> you, you need a, we need a transformed mind. The, the, the beautiful illustration that's always given related to metamorphosis is what? Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's, it, it's a great illustration. It's a fantastic picture. Really it is. But that's what we need. That's what we need. And that's what we're going to lean into this week before we come back next week and look at make one. So let me conclude by taking us back to the beginning this morning. Being a disciple is about you and I being, day by day, learners of the way of Jesus. About you and I knowing who we now are. Owning this identity, which is beautiful, in relationship with him. So here's something I'm actually really certain of. (laughs) Some of you are just kind of, I know. I'm actually really certain about this. You and I could stop today. We could stop listening to podcasts. We could. We could stop watching YouTube videos. Oh, well, we could. I'm talking about God and the Bible and church. We could, we could stop, you know, uh, reading books about the Word of God, what it actually says by other authors, what they tell us, what, we, what they think it should say or we should believe that it says. We could stop doing all that completely, 100%. And you know what? What we could do as then every day we could pick this up. We could start in Psalms. We could start in the Gospel of John. We could start Genesis. doesn't matter. And we could read a little bit. We could pray before we read. We could say, Holy Spirit, would you please? Would you speak to me? Would you just show me how I can be a better disciple and follower of Jesus? Would you show me who I am, really, by showing me who you are and what you've done, first of all? Could you do that and then read and then stop and think about it and then meditate on it and then may pray, pray again before you go to work or whatever you're going to do and ask him to continue to teach you. And Why am I so certain you, that that's all you need to do? What did Paul have? What did all the disciples have in the first many centuries of the church? Podcasts? Commentaries? Books? Authors? Bloggers? No. They had the word of God and they had each other. And they had a, a direct access to their heavenly Father and to the Holy Spirit every single day. So friends, before you and I can effectively go and make even one disciple, literally walk with another person, discipling them to become who they really are, we need to be one first. Every day. We really need to know that, don't we? we do i hope you know that pray with me would you gracious heavenly father lord jesus holy spirit we thank you for all of who you are um we thank you for your word we thank you that it's we have it it's been preserved it was spoken to them written to them in letters in those days they they went over and over these letters every week they memorized them <laughs> they they shared what they remembered from Paul's letters with each other throughout the week. That's what they had. But they had you, Holy Spirit, working in their hearts and their minds, and and they had the word. And they shared it. They lived on it. It It was their bread of life. Oh, Lord, that it would be ours as a church. I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters and friends and visitors here today, everyone watching online. I pray that we would cherish your word and your word alone over everything else. And that you would speak to us, really speak to us as we read your word, as we open it here on Sunday mornings, as we do that in missional community group together. I pray that you would speak to us, reveal yourself to us, reveal more about who we really are. And then, Lord, I pray that you would use us mightily to go and bear much fruit here in Squamish, first of all. I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name, amen.